welcome everyone to Profitable Powerhouse Properties with the AHI Group. I am Jonathan Coates and with me as always, Brian Jenkins. Good morning, everybody. Today we have with us two special guests. One is Charlene Miner with Bailey and Hunter LLC based out of Atlanta. Tell everyone hello. Hello, everybody. How are you doing? Uh, Charlene, also uh, introduce yourself a little bit and, and, and you know, your, your qualifications and, and all your all your things that will probably go on your signature block in an email. <laughs> okay, sure. Um, I've actually been in uh, property management for 30-plus years, and I am associated with NARPM, the National Association of Residential Property Managers. I have my RMP and my NPM designations, and I'm currently the regional, regional vice president for the Pacific and Pacific Islands. And besides that, I do sit on the advisory board for the Atlanta Housing Authority. Um, I had a two-year term about five years ago, and then they asked me to come back, so I'm just starting my second two-year term with the Atlanta Housing Authority. Oh, that's great. Also, Along with Charlene, we also have in-house Joe Levio, who's our leasing manager and one of our qualifying brokers. Joe, why don't you uh, introduce yourself? Tell us, tell us a little bit about yourself. Add all your signature blog stuff, all the new stuff that you got going on. Well, like Johnson said, I'm the leasing manager and the qualifying broker for our Oklahoma City office. I've been oh, with HR and Project Visit just over 14 years. Um, I'm also a member of NARPM. I have my RMP as well. Um, I'm also on the committee for the chapter of excellence uh, for the uh, Leonard Northam chapter. Which is an excellent chapter, by the way. It's a uh, multiple winner of large chapter of the year, and, and both Charlene and I uh, previously served as presidents there. And uh, and just a little bump to Northam, because I always do a bump to Northam yeah, on every, every episode. So we are two of the uh, regional vice presidents for Northam National out of six. And uh, so we're, you know, we got uh, got a little knowledge in the house today. So we're, uh, oh yeah, we're going to come at you best from, practice. from that angle. That's right, best practice. Look, I think I, did, I think I congratulated you on yours in the very last episode that we recorded. I don't know when it when they're all going to come out, but the last episode, if you, if you've heard me congratulate Brian on it, that was the one we recorded right before this one. So hopefully we'll just drop them all in a series. All right. So, but we appreciate, uh, Charlene, we appreciate your time. And, yes, and, thank you. And uh, especially your time, but uh, more importantly, your expertise in this subject matter we're going to be discussing today. Because I think that, you know, in talking to investors, you, you kind of get a mixed bag. You have those that are uh, uh, very open to the idea of Section 8. Uh, you we have, haven't even discussed that we're going to talk about Section No, we haven't. Right. But, uh, Introduce the topic. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. So uh, the, other, the other category... Uh, that I would say there's really two more. So you get those that are open to it. You get those that are, no, I don't want any Section 8 uh, rentals. And then you have those that uh, that accept it, and they'll, you know, if they're operating a portfolio, they'll take a percentage of their portfolio and assign it to Section 8. So that's been our experience. Um, I know you've got a lot more experience in Section 8 than we do. Um, but uh, anyways, we'll dive into the uh, subject matter, and I'm going to let Jonathan kind of kick it kick us off and get us in the direction we want to go. Yeah, I think, and also, Joe, I also very much appreciate your time. He, he's here in the office, and I see how busy this man is and the fact that we've uh, carved him away from his busy work for at least an hour. Yeah, I'm yeah. pretty impressed that we got that's, that done. That's right. I, 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 apologize, <laughs> I didn't mean to miss you, but, uh, yeah, we had to carve, carve it out a week in advance, so we make sure we get him here. So Look, we, we, we take him for granted because we have him here all the time. We can interrupt him while he's doing stuff, but but – I'm excited that we've got him for the amount of time that we do. Joe's like the, the amount of knowledge that we get out of Joe on a daily basis. Uh, I, I know the two of us take that for granted, Ryan, but but he's also an incredible wealth of knowledge, especially on this. And I want to talk about tenants. I mean, yeah, we're going to talk about Section Eight. That is the big, heavy portion that both of these guys are absolute experts on. But it, we we talk so much about properties and investing and and the solid foundation of hey, here's this thing, here's an item, that's the house itself, that's the property, and help, let's talk about how we're going to manage it and how get your best return out of it, but like, let's talk about the tenants, because that, I mean, I, I said it the other day, and I mean, the tenants are like, they're the lifeblood of property management, and if you're a landlord, that's the lifeblood of your property. You don't have, a, a property's great, but doesn't make you any money without a tenant. So let's talk about tenants themselves. I mean, you, you can you can have an A-class property that 
you know, you bought as a, it's a good, you know, tax haven and you've got some executive or somebody that's in there paying a few thousand dollars a month. And that's all well and good. But if you're investing in a lot of the markets nowadays, you probably are in a C market, especially if you're a first time investor. You're probably investing in a C market, well, especially if you're going after those higher cap rates. Yeah, if, if you're want, if you're wanting, you know, above a six percent cap rate, yeah, you're you're looking at a C class market. And if you're looking at a C class market, if it's your first time or if it's your you're early into the the investment circle, Section Eight probably seems really really scary to you. But we're going to hopefully alleviate that for a lot of people. Explain what it is. <clears throat> Um, explain why it's valuable, why you should allow it. Um, and we can talk about some of the, you know, hesitancies that we see. Um, I mean, like Joe, I want you to discuss, cause I know that you and I have had discussions with owners. Like when you see someone, we say, Hey, would you accept section eight? And they, well, I don't know about that. And then Charlene, the way that you deal with, cause you do it so so often, your your ability to say, "Look, I'm just you're going to accept Shanae this now. I'm going to do it," and then why? Once we talk everybody into it, you know, from an owner standpoint, hey, this, this is the best way to handle this situation. Let's just go ahead and open it up. Yeah, why you know, we, why uh, that's a good good thing? So why don't we go ahead and establish? And I'll start with you, Charlene. If we can establish. Uh, in your current portfolio, management portfolio, what percentage of your properties are Section 8 properties? Okay. Well, first of all, I'd like to clarify that Section 8 has been changed to housing choice vouchers. So if you hear that, just know that that is the same thing as Section 8, but they're trying to get rid of that old stigma, and now it's called housing choice vouchers. And 80% of my portfolio is with vouchers. Out of and I work with nine different housing authorities in the Atlanta metro area. Okay, well, that's a lot of uh, a lot of housing authorities just in Atlanta alone. Because we, you know, we're typically uh, we're at about we're, we're the other side of the spectrum, so we're uh, fluctuate anywhere between eighteen to twenty percent Section Eight properties within our management portfolio. But that's across five marketplaces. So some of our markets are, or uh, are, are higher percentage, but overall company wide, we're at that fluctuate between that 18 and 20 percent role. And then we deal with basically how many housing authorities is that? Actually, three, four, five, six, seven, eight housing authorities that we deal with. But that's in five markets. Five markets. Yeah, that's yeah. five. Yeah. Okay. So, and how many are in Atlanta, Charlene? It's all nine? the metro. Good yeah, nine. And then when we had our portfolio in Florida, I had 13 different housing authorities in the Florida area that I worked with. So the biggest thing that you need to know about the housing authorities is there's the two-page RTA is what they call it, the uh, request for tenancy approval. That's going to be standard, but the whole packet of everything else that they ask for is going to be different for every single housing authority. And I think that's probably the biggest downfall for an owner is having to learn that paperwork for all the different housing authorities. Unless you buy all your properties in the same area and you're dealing with one housing authority, then you become the expert on that. Okay. So the art, that, that the, the paperwork and the documentation that they need for it. Uh, what right. about on the, the actual leases themselves? Have you had uh, Joe, can you speak a little bit about how the Section 8 in is it Oklahoma City that had to change a little bit of the stuff on our leasing just because legally we just got to make sure that it fits everything. And if you're an investor someplace, you want to make sure that your property manager is aware and is able to, you know, look at their lease and make sure that it fits how housing authorities work. Yeah, one of the... Uh Housing authorities in Oklahoma, they actually would not accept our lease as is. We had to submit it for several changes in order for them to accept our lease and be able to use the program. Um, but also a little different than Alabama up in Oklahoma, they actually, the rep, actually, the uh, Section 8 inspector actually walks the property with the property manager and they actually sign the lease on site. So the property manager goes, the inspector goes, and also the applicant, uh, future tenant will also go um, to that. But we've had to revise our lease, uh, at least for one of them in uh, Oklahoma, 
the other department we work, or section eight department we work with, has not changed our use at least as of yet. But um, so they do dictate, you know, your lease, you know, how how it needs to read in yeah, order to be approved. Basically, that their stand was change it, get rid of these items, or basically you can't participate in our program. So that was that was Oklahoma. That was pretty pretty aggressive on their behalf because it dealt with any uh, additional fees and, and uh, if I remember correctly, it dealt with late fees and uh, security deposits. Security was a deposit. big thing. You can't, you know, you're not allowed to keep your their security deposit under um, certain certain issues. Like if they owe back rent that's owned by Section Eight, but if Section uh, the inspection fails and abated, you can't touch their security deposit. So it's only used for damage that they've caused. Correct. Okay. Correct. So, Sterling, have you seen anything like that in Atlanta where that where any of the Departments that you work with, or any of the housing authorities, have changed anything in your lease or made you m move to fit them? Well, you can't charge more than what the rent is for the security deposit. So you can't, okay. you know, like the rent is a thousand, you can't charge them fifteen hundred for a security deposit. And like Brian said, you can't charge all the extra little fees that a lot of property management companies like to charge for various whatever. So it's basically you charge the rent, you can charge the security deposit, but you can't charge them for this and that and whatnot ever, all the extra little fees. So, but otherwise, they do say that you have that you treat them just like any other tenant as far as them having to adhere to the lease. So if your lease states that they have to have the utilities turned on at all times and they don't pay their light bill and get their lights turned off, that's a violation of the lease and you do have reason to terminate the lease with them if you want to get them out. Oh, correct. Yeah. Okay. You just that's be able to, way to look at it that way. Yeah. You just can charge them a fee if you have a built-in fee within your lease that charges them a fine or a fee for not having utilities switching your name. That fee, you wouldn't be able to charge them that. But like she said, you could if you so choose you know, violating the victim based on that. That's pretty interesting. Okay, so let's let's look at, I mean, from that standpoint, we're talking about if they're violating the lease, getting them out, out of the property. And I think that is what, at least it lets me dive into, this is what I think most homeowners, from what I hear, these are the people that are talking to me, the actual investors that are coming in, uh, this is part of one of their big objections with the Section 8 is like, oh, well, can can I get them out if I need to? Let's let's worry about all the negatives of of a Section Eight tenant. Meaning, likely they they potentially have less qualifications, mostly uh, due to income. I would imagine. I mean, that that's the easiest way to look at it from from an income standpoint. That's the only thing we can really say. That's probably one of their biggest differences to a, a normal tenant. It, it just you know, we see a lot of people that are hesitant for a bunch of vague reasons. Oh, they're they they're gonna damage the property. Well why? They're they're not gonna pay my they're not gonna pay on time. Why? Why 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 would you think this is about a section eight tenant? Just because they hear that they're on a housing authority and that to them a lot of homeowners and a lot of investors look at that as such a negative. Um, can, can either of you guys take take that and say, well, let me alleviate the, these stresses? Well, I can tell you, uh, just to identify and, and actually further explain that, um, I have, you know, the biggest argument from investor clients that we have is, to, is probably the um, their own assessment that if they have a Section 8 tenant, whether it's from experience or just, uh, you know. Hearsay maybe hearsay or things that they've heard from other investors, but they actually, you know, their, their concern is that if, if they open it up to Section 8, then they can expect um, higher turn cost, possibly longer vacancy periods while people get their paperwork in order. Some of our Section 8 offices we deal with do a much better job of, of getting vouchers out to people that just, you know, like here locally in Birmingham uh, at the beginning of the year, and Joe can speak to this a little bit further, but I mean, there was a, a wait period of what was it, two? Yeah, they uh, two months. Yeah, you know, uh, the Housing Authority told me that from the date I turned in the uh, paperwork, it would be about two months out. Yeah, so they were basically backlogged because of the amount of volume they were dealing with and being understaffed. So, but the the largest concern that I've heard is that the you know the escalating turn costs. So instead of sure. normal 
turn costs like you'd see on an AV class property. We've talked about that in the past. Sure. Yeah. Um, you know, you're talking multiple times the rental amount just mm -hmm. due to damages for people not carrying or taking care of the property. So, sure. So why don't we uh, why don't we dispel some of that? Speak about. I'd like to speak on that. Okay. So the biggest thing that you have to realize is just because someone comes to you with a housing choice voucher doesn't mean that you have to rent to them. You're still going to do the background check, call their current landlord, and then try to call the one before that because they're going to give you a real good idea of how they were in housekeeping and that type of thing. I actually go and do a home visit with where they currently live, and what I'm doing is looking to see not only their housekeeping skills, but if they have that pit bull with puppies that they didn't tell you about, I'm looking to see if they have a reliable looking car so that I can see if I need to make sure that they're near public transportation rather than putting them back in some big subdivision. And if you do a really good job of the screening beforehand and put them in a property that works for them, they're not going to move. They're going to be there five, seven, ten years. And then you don't have that turnover cost every year of having to paint and carpet or whatever. So that's where you're going to make your money is not of having that long-term tenant that's there. But you have to do the job ahead of time of screening them, checking them out, and making sure it's a good fit. Great. You actually took the word right out of my mouth. I was just about to say that. Just because they have a voucher does not mean it's approval. We actually run them through our complete application process, whether they uh, a voucher or not. They run through the whole process, and they still, you know, have to, you know, criminal background. You know, we do eviction checks, rental history, like you said, credit. Head screening. Head screening. So they have to go through the whole application process. And if they don't pass some part of it and they feel that they're a high risk to cause damage to the property, I mean, the owner can always deny that particular applicant. Yeah, to to the point, I mean, we catch a lot of housing debt that's owed mm -hmm. uh, from previous landlords. And uh, and certain times of the year, it seems to be a higher percentage, but that, that does occur. But... To, to flip side, you know, I, I agree with you 100%, Charlene. What I see is that the Section 8 uh, residents tend to stay longer than our average resident would on on a non-Section 8 or choice voucher. I'll try to start using that terminology. Yeah, um, I, I need that to mind that as change. Well. So, yeah. uh, but the choice vouchers, we see that being a longer period of time. But also also do think that uh, it, it's going to come down to your investor client and their whatever their risk tolerance is and whatever they're driving you to do. Because we have some clients that, you know, the mentality is that they have a voucher and they can get approved for the property. They want us to go ahead and put them in there, you know, short of having criminal evictions and that sort of thing. And we'll stand by our requirements on housing debt and everything else that's associated with it. But in the end, they can make an exception to our approval process and, and approve, and that's just how we're set up. So, Well, and another thing to look at, when we're talking the the, the choice vouchers, especially, or at least in our portfolio, the majority of tenants that we have are in, in those, the voucher situations are in C-class property homes anyway. So if we talk about a average C-class tenant that's not on a, a choice voucher versus a non-vouchered tenant. We're still talking about a similar income structure, a similar property shape, a similar area. And, and the turn costs associated may be lower for the non-vouchered non tenant. Potentially, it might not be. But if we're talking about a non-vouchered uh, tenant only lasting two years, may, may, maybe three. If the turn cost is, say, just use $2,500. It's a good round number that I can use. And yeah, that's more than that's more than the um, you know security deposit that you're going to get out of them. But it's you know it's over three years. Okay, maybe it can make sense of three years worth of you know damages and it being rough could be 2,500 bucks. Now if it's a little bit more than that, but it's expanded out to seven years potentially, even if it's three thousand dollars in that that difference, that time period, it's spread out over so much further that hey, you, you make your money back in you, once you add that back into your cash on cash return, your your money's made up for just for the longevity of it. Right. And you're getting into more of the wear and wear and tear yeah. schedules and that you're gonna have to pay for it. Right. Right. And so another marketing, you're not having to worry about 
the, the vacancy time. There's a lot of money that you make up for with the longevity. Right. The other That's thing right. is, yeah, the other thing is um, the housing authorities will do a yearly inspection. So not only are they inspecting the property on the owner's side as far as everything working properly, they're checking out that tenant. So if they are not taking care of the property properly and they have stains in the carpet, they are going to be responsible for getting that carpet cleaned or painting the wall or whatever damage they are doing. And if they don't do it, they lose their voucher. So you're getting a better yearly inspection of the property on the tenant. So you have that little... Can we talk a little bit more about sales inspections and like the abatement process? Uh, Joe, Charlene, either y'all want to pick that up and explain how something that tends to be a scary topic. It, it is a scary topic because, because yeah, the idea is well, Section Eight's not or the choice vouchers are not going to pay for that tenant anymore. But like, okay, how how are we going to get our income if they can't afford it? Like, what what explain that process? Walk, walk me through it in a way that that let's say. I've never dealt with any of it. I'm, I'm a first-time home buyer. I'm a first-time investor. Explain to me the, the abatement process and a failed inspection. If, if this is the first time that they've got a property and you come to them, okay, so your section, your 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 choice voucher tenant has failed their inspection. Yeah, this, well, this okay, is, this what does that mean? Let's get up to a point where we've we've got a we've got a property. It's an annual inspection. They've come in. They've inspected it. They've sent a list of items that have to be. Uh, taken care of in the next 30 days, mm-hmm. and let's say some of those are owner-related while others are uh, resident-related. Okay. And then for whatever reason, let's say the owner items are taken care of, the resident items are not within that next inspection period. So they come back, identify some of the same issues, they fail it a second time, they abate the rent. So let's pick it up right there and kind of talk about the abatement process and what takes place there from an investor standpoint, you're going to want to know, okay, so if sec, you know, if, if choice housing is not paying the rent, who's paying the rent? Is, is it just forgiven or what does that process look like? Well, look, well, first of all, if the owner takes care of all of their um, failed items and it's the resident that just doesn't, I don't know about Birmingham and Oklahoma, but in Atlanta, they will not abate the property as long as the owner has done all of their items. And then they put the tenant on notice that they will be terminated from the program if they don't get their items taken care of. Now, if you don't get your items taken care of, then yes, they put you in abatement. But in Atlanta, if it's only the resident that hasn't done their items, they do not abate the owner. Yeah, Birmingham and Oklahoma City are a little different. They actually can abate the rent. They want all repairs, no matter who's at fault, whether it's normal wear and tear or tenant responsibility. If all the repairs aren't completed that they put on the failed inspection list, they will abate the rent. Yeah, we've had cases where we've, on behalf of the owner, we've done the repairs that were tenant-related repairs. And we just charge them back to the tenant. tenant. So we, we can... Even with them being on a home cho- choice voucher, we can charge that back toward the tenant if it's their responsibility. We've had the ability to do that, but that's that's in a case scenario where the resident's not taking care of it, mm-hmm. or you know, we just know historically they're not going to. And we're going to charge them back and then try to collect it from them during the tenancy. And, and in that, the worst case scenario, charge it against the security deposit. No, we can do that in Alabama. And and that's to keep from having the the rent become abated. So that's let's correct. talk about. What happens when rent is abated? How does that work, Charlene? Well, so you have the 30 days to get the repairs done. If they're not done in that 30 days, it goes to an abatement, which means you don't get paid. And then depending on the housing authority, if you get it done on, let's say, day two of abatement, they come right back out and they start your payments again on that third day. Some housing authorities, they'll bait you for the whole 30 days, which really sucks. But as soon as you get a repair done, you have the inspector come back out they pass you and then the abatement is lifted and you, so they just prorate, you know, that next month of however many days you were abated. Now, if you don't get the repairs done in that 30 days, then it goes into the termination mode, which is another 30 days. And then the tenant has to move out, but you can still save it in that termination phase, but you're not going to get paid for those two months that you were the 30 days of abatement and the 30 days of termination. Yeah, so basically, if it goes into the second thirty-day period, you have a chance to save it to go back to a. And where I, 
Yeah, where I see those problems happening is when it's a big expense, like having to put a new roof on or pour a new driveway that is, you know, a trip hazard and whatever. And the property management company is having to get three or four different bids for the owner. The owner's trying to get his insurance claim involved and the time just gets away from you. Yeah, that's a good a good opportunity because we just had one come up here in Birmingham to where we had a significant septic issue that's going to be a redo, basically. And we were able to get a 10-day extension on the property at our request uh, to facilitate the okay. repairs to okay. ensure that we would pass versus mm-hmm. fail. And we made a request and granted it in writing. So so there's an opportunity to do that occasionally. I think that's an exception, but uh, but they do allow that, at least here locally. So, so for our listeners, the, the idea, like, if you own a house and it's getting to the abatement period like that, that is a, hey, you've got to look through these bids. You need to approve one, yeah. basically. No, no dragging your feet. Don't dra- you can't drag your feet on this sort of thing because yeah. if, if it gets into abatement, yeah, you, you have the extra day period, to, the extra 30-day period to, to get it reassessed. But if you're not willing to get through there and approve these bids, you're, you're going to lose that tenant. And that's just that you, you're already on Section Eight, and you're going then you're gonna have to go through a whole new, or well, you're already on housing well, choice. Yeah, housing to, and, and to our investors, you know, it, it also speaks. You lose the benefits, is my point. You, you lose, lose the benefits of Section Eight. You could have a long-term tenant. You could have a tenancy terminated, right? Sure. You could have your house removed from being approved within the program. But what I was going to suggest is, just like with any other investment. With real estate, we always recommend you have a reserve available Absolutely. for those big items, like the the big ticket item I mentioned with the sewer, septic, and mm-hmm. field lines, and all that replacement. That's several thousand dollars. That's going to be a capital expense. That at right. least, I mean, we're not CPAs, but at least a capital expense. Yeah, it's going to hurt. And if you have the reserve, it, it won't hurt as bad. But you have to have okay. the wherewithal to be able to pull that off Keep those within expense. that within that timeline. Yeah, so you know, it's not not something you can extend credit out on. So <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so just you just have to be prepared, like any other property, whether it's choice housing or, or regular market rental. Uh, you need to be prepared for those type of things because that stuff happens all the time. Yeah. The other thing I would like, yeah, the other thing I'd like okay. to point out is, like you were saying, you know, the if it's not a Section Eight person in there and you have that C property, you're going to be in an environment where the people are low income and as soon mm-hmm. as they lose their job or they miss some days for being sick or their car breaks down you're not getting your rent for that next month because they live paycheck to paycheck so if you're in that environment of investment properties it's wiser to take a housing choice voucher and be guaranteed the rent than to take an open market that's low income maybe not even getting the same amount of rent or equal to you're holding your breath if they pay every month. Today we are busier than ever and struggling to do more while adding value. Global Strategic understands the value of your time. By leveraging custom business process solutions, you can focus on your core competency and save time and money. If you've been dealing with a lost productivity due to sudden staff departure, high rates of turnover, or staff that don't share your vision, they can help. With offices in the U.S. and the Philippines, they provide dual-shore 24-7 coverage for their valued partners. If you need to save time and money, but you're not sure how, just give them a call at 855-731-4966 or visit globalstrategic.com for more information. As property managers, property condition reports are a vital part of what we do. But who has the time to do them well? And who can afford to hire a professional to do it for them? Let us show you how. Join OnSite Pros, a national third-party property reporting company, on February the 19th from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. for a free Lunch and Learn workshop. For more information and to learn how to register, visit eventbrite.com and search OnSite Pros. Well, that, that's like a, that's a perfect segue to the next thing that I was wanting to to talk about. When we talk about the, the same area, the open market versus the section or the the housing voucher price range. I know in the Birmingham market specifically, there is a specific area um, that that the open market rent for like a three bedroom house is like seven hundred dollars. 
but the 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 housing voucher is significantly higher. Joe, can you talk about the difference in price ranges in, in, in some of these markets at least, like how that works and how if you go with a open market, it's an open market tenant, they, they came and they qualified, they have their own income and blah, 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 we don't have to worry about it. And they're, they're going to pay $700 a month. Well, now here is a, you know, a, a housing choice tenant and they, they can bring to the table how much. What where's, where's the difference that you see, Joe? Like how much change are we talking? Well, they, the... <clears throat> The Housing Authority of Birmingham that actually started this year, where they're actually have included uh, more zip codes, w- which they are giving over market value uh, for rent. Um, I would say in some of these, um, of course, it's based on bedroom size um, and income, but most of these I've seen at least a hundred to a hundred and fifty dollar increase on the rental rates that I would typically charge. Uh, as far as over fair market values. So that's a benefit if they go with a, uh, an applicant as a choice voucher, they're able to actually get more rent over market value of rent for it. Well, I, I know, okay, specifically some of these, like I'm, I'm looking at it now that you're, that you've got it. Uh, I know that there's some that are way more than a, you know, a few hundred. If we're talking specifically, 35117, the open market value on, on a three-bedroom home is like $950, whereas what they do, you know, exception payment standards for a three-bedroom house in that same area through housing, it's 1500 That's a significant difference. So if you, let, if you only want an open market tenant yeah, in that area, maximum it is a maximum benefit, but, but it is... Right. A potential maximum benefit right. difference. And if you say no housing, I'm not accepting them, period. If you put a flat, you know, no on that, a, a stamp, no, nobody from housing authorities can have any of my properties. You're giving up potentially, in that case, $600. That's like that's like a 70% increase almost. Yeah. And what they're, the housing authority are trying to do, there's a a lot of choice vouchers um, are all, you know, in one area, one zip code. So what they've done is they're trying to spread out the, the choice vouchers to other zip codes, and which is a benefit to the investor because they're able to go outside, you know, different zip codes and able to get more rent for their money and, and have a, a uh, Section 8 tenant in their property. So it's an advantage that it opens up where they can actually buy a investment property. Yeah, a lot of the zip codes listed on the list here in Birmingham actually are areas that, that have A-B classification properties. Sure. So, so, yeah, just spreading it around. And, and ideally, when you read through that, it's like these are exception standards yeah. uh, to where standard application doesn't apply. Uh, if somebody's applying for this, this is the maximum benefit amount. Mm-hmm. So some other things go into effect there, comparable rents and, and things, which would bring that down to within reason. So instead of a $500 spread, you're, you're not going to necessarily be that large unless the, the inventory tightens down. Yeah. They just can't get it. Um, it also would seems reasonable. Yeah. Charlene, what, what are you saying? Well, it also depends on the, the housing authority. So the Atlanta Housing Authority is desperate for houses because they have so many people with vouchers and not enough landlords participating. So yeah, they're they're offering much higher rents just to take it. They're offering leasing incentive fees, which is equal to one month's rent, just to lease it up to someone with a voucher. They're offering $250 bonus to put a new property on the program. They're offering $250 if you pass your inspection on the first time. I mean, they're doing everything possible to get more owners interested in doing the program. So, And then they pay according to the age of the house, the square footage, and the location. So you're going to get different rents depending on where the location is. Some of the other housing authorities, like the neighboring Decatur, East Point, they give money according to the um, family income and household size. So you're going to know up front this family is eligible for $852, where the same family, if they had an Atlanta voucher, may be able to move someplace where they get eighteen hundred. And I've seen Atlanta paying over two thousand dollars on a voucher. Oh, yeah, that's in certain neighborhoods. Wow, a three bedroom. 
over two thousand dollars. Yeah, yeah, that's that's pretty big. And I yeah, see, I see some on this list here that are um, as high as twenty eight hundred. Six hundred. Of course, that's a bigger house, but to have a choice voucher for that amount is, I mean, kind of opened my eyes when I first got the list from uh, from the housing authority. It looks like an apartment complex, eight bedrooms. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's a big house. The other big yeah. thing that I noticed in Atlanta, you know, I've been doing this for years here. So when Atlanta had their projects, if you want to call them that, you know, the big housing. Um, subdivisions, basically, when they knocked those down and gave all those people vouchers, it was a different clientele because they were generations of being raised in those housing authority. I mean, the projects where they had the maintenance man that would come and change the light bulb form. And, you know, they just didn't do anything for themselves. Now, this many years later, they have learned how to take care of a property. And it's a, it's a different climate now. That's pretty interesting, Joe. Are you seeing kind of the same same sort of stuff happening as well? I am. I am and the Oklahoma City market. I'm seeing that as well. Yeah, we just had we just had the uh, neighborhood closed, actually, right? Yeah. They moved everybody yeah. out, so everybody's flooding back into the market, looking for new places to live. Mm-hmm. Uh, much, you know, Charlene and I have had that discussion before as to, you know, I remember you. Caravan of people around looking at houses. They were just lined up with the vouchers, and you were leasing stuff day of. And uh, have you guys had anything like that happen in recent years, Charlene? Yeah. Well, the other thing that I see a lot of the housing authorities do when they give them a new voucher, they're making them go to these classes on how to be a good neighbor, how to take care of your home, and they're doing a little bit better job of educating these people on how to live in a home versus a project. That's awesome, actually. I mean, can you so imagine you having... Better. I wish all of our tenants could get through We heard this last year, uh, five uh, stars. Yeah, we were in Memphis. In Memphis <laughs> you know, the, the, the adage of live here versus stay here and transforming the mindset of somebody from a, I stay at this property to I live at this property uh, implying a sense of ownership and and care for the home. So that's that's the education process that needs to happen. I'm glad to hear that that uh, the uh, the government stepped yeah. up right and they're they're doing some of that education. Well, and that's that's one of the things that we we are trying to work on as well. Just as a as a company in house mm-hmm. is trying to set a a standards of care and a benefit a, a tenant benefit package with some education pieces involved so that our tenants not only um, are going to treat the homes better, they, they understand why they should treat the homes better. And the fact that, hey, we are trying to care for you. We have a benefit package for you because we want you to be happy in these homes. If you, if, I think a lot of the time we see landlord versus tenant as a mindset. Right. And uh, it's, it's like ops and, ops and biz dev. Everybody's, instead of being against each other, what we're trying to create is a mindset of of we're trying to work together and let's let's keep everyone let let me help educate you the tenant on how to best enjoy this home and be able to keep it as long as you want to live here and be happy in this home. Here's some basic ways to take care of these air filters. We're we're going to provide you with air filters on a 60 day period. You put them in there and Hey, guess what? That's going to give you cleaner air. Your power bill is going to go down. Hey, we're going to go ahead and help provide you with a, a fire suppressant system, which we haven't talked about on the podcast, but that's a long story with that. We'll have a whole episode on it probably. But there, there's just there's some benefits that tenants are, are, are going to have, and being able to go over that with them, change their mindset from, hey, we just want your money. We don't care about you. Too. Hey, we care about you. We want you to be happy in this home. Right. We want you to reach out with us. Is there something that we can help? Well, with? there's three three standards in the in the management cycle that uh, you touched upon. One of them that we've implemented with was uh, second nature service mm-hmm. mailing air filters to the property directly. Mm-hmm. So empowering that tenant to to actually take a role in cleaner air, lower utility bills, so on and so forth. Um, the other thing is the accountability piece. So we're doing that through uh, periodic and, uh, walkthroughs. With on-site pros. With on-site pros. So it's a third party. It's right. not just us telling them 
hey, we, we don't like the way you're treating this house. It's the third party going, hey, this is every piece of damage. We did this. We've seen this. That, that's a yeah, it's a great format. And then for that, you know, that piece that we do in-house, we were talking about this before the call, actually, is being able to modify our app software to actually build a, a pre-checklist mm-hmm. so that, you know, Charlene alluded to it where Atlanta was paying 250 to pass an inspection the first time. Mm-hmm. And that's all of our goal as a property manager to be able to pass that inspection first time through. So an effort to do that is to actually build that inspection format to where our, our staff has to go out and they have to go all the way through that checklist to ensure that everything's done in advance of that inspection. And then the other piece is really focusing in from a management standpoint. And as Jonathan said, you know, making sure that they understand we, we care more about them and, and their tenancy with us and then just collecting the rent rent payment. So there's a number of ways to do that, but the one where the rubber meets the road, in my opinion, would be uh, just make sure when they report a work order, we're addressing it promptly. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I know our internal policy is to try to close everything out inside of 30 days. So making sure that it, there's non-emergency issues are handled in a timely manner. And obviously the emergency issues get handled in a timely manner as well. And just like you know, we, what we do for one tenant, we do for all. So our, our processes, procedures are the same. Yeah, and that, I think that's one of the things that we want to make sure that tenants, regardless of what their housing situation, you know, is. That, that we want we want uh, tenants that are using the choice vouchers to feel just like the tenants that are, you know, coming in from, you know, someplace as a as a corporate tenant that that's paying four thousand dollars a month to stay in some, you know, a cut. But they should feel the same. They should get the same level of service. Exactly. It doesn't matter how much money you're paying. You are one of our tenants, so we're going to treat you the same. And I, I think that's important for any landlord to hear is, is if you treat them all the same, if you treat them with respect and dignity, you're going to have a tenant that is not only going to have a smoother ordeal with you as a landlord or a property manager, they're, they're going to be easier to work with, but you're also going to have payments that are going to come in on time. They're going to, you know, call you and let you know about anything that they're changing in, in their life that might affect how your property is being handled. It's going to affect how well they treat your property because it's a respect situation. In that right. And they're more apt to communicate with you yeah. on the front end and be proactive in that versus management company having to chase down communication. So that's, yeah. that's key. And one of the things that we've recently saw we focused on through 2019 was just our percentage of lease renewals. And that by implementing some of the steps I just mentioned and focusing in on those and then monitoring those and tweaking as we need to, to ensure that we're, we're following within those guidelines, you know, our average, our average lease renewal company wide for HI went from 64% uh, on average up to our last rating for December was 77% lease renewal rate across the company. So so that speaks directly. I mean, all the things that Jonathan just discussed speak directly to tenant satisfaction, uh, not only with the management company, but with the property. Mm-hmm. They're likely to renew leases and stay even longer. Here's another thing you want to do is know who your tenants are. And I don't care if they have a voucher or not, but as far as like the changing the air filters, you know, if it's an elderly person or someone that's as wide as they are tall, I don't want them climbing up into the attic and trying to change a filter. (laughs) You know, so as long as you know who your tenants are and, you know, you don't expect them to do something that is really beyond them being able to do, then you're going to send somebody out to change that air filter for them. That's right. It's like we don't allow tenants to do chemical services on their lawn. Cat for the same reason. Cat in out of gutters. We don't allow them to clean out the gutters anymore. Uh, yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> you could probably sit here and go through. We don't let them do this. We don't let them do yeah, that. I'd be a whole other episode of what we don't let them do. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it, it goes to exactly Charlotte's point. If someone can't physically do something, or is not, we should not be expected to be capable of a thing without potentially. Yeah, supplementing exception. Yeah, absolutely. So, so a way to look at things, and it's just all about treating the tenants well enough to understand the tenants. I think Charlotte is like, you've got to know your tenants. It can't just be a flat blanket. Right. Oh, all tenants are the same person. No, they're not. <laughs> no, they sure are. All investors aren't the same. All properties aren't the same. And just like you got to know your property, you got to know your investor, your mm-hmm. investor client. You have to know your tenant because they go hand in hand together. 
Absolutely. And that's how you make this business uh, of owning properties or managing properties. That's how you make this the most profitable that it can be is to not just blindly go in with, with expectations. You have to understand every little facet of it. And, and, and the voucher system is a whole, like we could have, you know, hours and hours of, you know, very specific uh, details about how this works in specific individual circumstances that are different than others. But I think the first thing that I would like our listeners to understand is let's just go ahead and start with the, let's not be scared of it. Right. That's step one. That's step one. That's the most important. But let's not be scared of it. Let's understand how to operate in those guidelines. And then let's move forward and, approve orders as quickly as they can be, make sure that we get the correct bids and, hey, let's, let's start approving. And then let's treat our tenants with respect. And then all the other little intricacies that are going to fall in that whole big pool of using the voucher system, we'll, we'll deal with those individually when they come. But if we can just not be, not be afraid to do this, let's treat everybody with respect, and let's be prompt about our ability to to, to work these work orders. Right. And get well, we talked about the work order piece, not dragging your feet there, uh, going through the approval process in a timely manner so you can get them, get them repaired. But also one, one additional piece that I'd like to bring up is if you're, you know, if you're going from self-management to a management company or going from one management company to the other and you already are in the voucher system, you know, the, the sooner you can let the uh, – housing voucher office know that you're going to be making a switch, mm-hmm. the better off you are. And what I mean by that is it can sometimes take them a couple of months to make banking transitions. Okay. Um, we've had it many cases to where it, it could go two to three months to where the vouchers are being sent to the previous owner or to the management previous company. management company, mm-hmm. and then you're chasing payments. Now, do you experience the same thing in Atlanta, or are they or more prompt in, in changing that over? Well, it depends on building relationships. So if you have someone that you have a good relationship with in that office and you can get them to stop that payment and put it on hold until you get the paperwork in, we've gotten it as quick as 30 days. But I was also going to say it's about building relationships with your inspectors and the people in the housing authorities. They're all just people. So if you have a good relationship with them, they'll work with you as far as, like you said, giving you an extra 10 days to do a big project or whatever. And then you also learn each inspector has his own little pet peeve of what he's looking for. So if you know what that is, then you make sure those things are corrected and will pass. So build relationships with with the people in the housing authority and your life is much easier. Oh, yeah. And that's, you know, in FaceTime, there's there's something special to be said about face-to-face time because it's always related to kind of like a DMV type environment. It can be. It can be, you know, kind of cold and sterile, or you can go warm them up and, you know, take them some donuts or, you know, go go have conversation and, and get in front of them when you can. Um, but we've also experienced some of these Section 8 offices using independent inspection services that are not employees of, of their office, and they're outsourcing this. And, and you sometimes can't establish relationships with with that type of service, but you, you do learn to work with them. You do learn to, you know, try to build relationships when you can to, to help make the experience better for everybody and try to, you know, just work together. It, it takes everybody to work together, uh, not just the management company, but the landlord, the management company, the, the resident, the, the housing office. I mean, everybody has to work together for the success uh, that we're all looking for. One of the other things that we have, started doing is when someone's buying a property or selling a property with the tenant of housing choice voucher already in there, we're getting the paperwork ahead of time and having them take it to the closing table so that they can sign off on who's going to be the new owner and who's transferring over the the tenant right there. So it's much faster. Yeah, that's a great idea. Yes, it is. Yeah. And if it's being sold, you know, like in the middle of the month or towards the end of the month, and you know the housing authorities already processed that payment to go to the the seller, have it put in the closing that that next month rent gets paid to the the new owner because you know it's already going to go to that seller. That's another. 
That is a very good idea. I know we've sold, we've been part of sales yeah. that were Section 8 related, or well, excuse me, housing choice vouchers, um, tenants in there. And, and, and even afterwards, we were letting the, the old owner and the new owner who the new owners stayed with us in some cases, but or they've gone to other places in some cases, just trying to get them aware, hey, we're working with a whole separate entity here. we got to get all this stuff done. But taking it to the closing table with the paperwork, that is a great idea. Yeah. I mean, that, that's that's a great way to handle that. Yeah, we have those on Buying one, request that. Hey, <laughs> listeners, if you're buying one, request that. Right. Please do. I mean, we have we have a few of those going on through Roofstock right now. Yeah. So that are actively in that. I'm, in that I'm very aware, and we are ahead of schedule, so we, and I'm glad that we've done this episode. Yeah. We can go ahead and say, hey, guess what? They're going to go ahead and have this because a lot of those are coming back to us. Right? Yeah, those are two great ideas. Those are. Uh, I feel like I've learned a couple of new things today. Thank you. Absolutely. <laughs> Um, is there is there any other other than the incredibly great advice right there? Whew, that's great. Is there any other final thoughts that we want to kind of throw out here for the listeners to, to just? I mean, I know I kind of started this episode, and Brian, you and I both kind of started this episode as a very like, hey, let's let's get on board with this. This is a thing that homeowners, I need you to just investors, I need you to go ahead and just step in and stop being scared. We got to do this. And I know a lot of that is because we get resistance from time to time. We just it's distressing to these investors of this is not as scary as you think it is. When you have a professional company handling this for you, or if you understand it yourself as an individual landlord, like it's not as scary as first-time investors seem to think that it is. So I know we started out very much in this, like, stop being scared. Let's do this. Is there anything else that we want to additionally get back out there and like final thoughts, hey, don't be scared, but is there, is there anything else that you wanted to really throw out there, Brian? You know, I think uh, I think it is a, a scary process for people that don't understand the process, but I think if you can keep it uh, in the realm of policies, procedures, processes, Having those down, and a good management company is is a huge tool for you in that capacity. So it's not requiring you to do much of anything other than, you know, we submit bids to you, get them reviewed, get them approved, uh, allow us to do our work. And then, you know, I, I hope what we've done today is not only kind of talk about some of those things that are scary to people, the conceptions, mm-hmm. the ideas out there, but also to kind of highlight some upside to it. Yeah, and because uh, there's definitely an upside, and and it's really to the investor, the individual investor. I think what it is is you just have to make a an individual decision. You know, it's just for me, it's just not for me. It really, I think there's risk in all of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, whether you're you just got a property you purchased and you're leasing out um, versus going through the the voucher program. Um, but it's it's the same risk, and I, and again, I think the upside to the voucher program uh, is extremely beneficial to to certain investors. And you know, to Charlene's point, I mean, she's a prime example of 80% of her inventory is the voucher program. But then, you know, we have people that tolerate a percentage of that risk, and and largely, you know, one thing that we didn't touch upon that came up um, this was last year. You know, when the when the uh, the government couldn't agree upon a budget, and some of the programs were at risk okay. of being, you know, paused. paused or something? Yeah, uh, or, you know, paused, necessarily is terminated, but paused. paused is a better way to put that. And insurance of our larger investors was that, hey, does this mean that Section 8 payments are going to spend until they get everything sorted out? Sure. And there was a risk of that happening. And in um, anyways, that's why some of the larger investors we deal with only want a certain percentage of voucher homes mm-hmm. in the program. It's, it's kind of to, uh, you know, diversify the portfolio a little bit and allow the rest of it to perform naturally if that were to occur. Mm-hmm. They don't have a bunch of rent to send out their own pause. And eventually they, they get it back. Yeah. So, but again, I just uh, encourage everybody to listen to this. If you have questions, everybody's going to have a chance to give their final thoughts. But make sure you reach out to us. We're happy to answer any questions. And uh, we'll give uh, Charlene a, an option to... Uh, you know, put her information out there as well. So if anybody wants to reach out to her, you know, we always say she is our uh, go-to in the Atlanta marketplace in regard to uh, the voucher 
program and the, the specialist. And thank you, Charlene, for taking a role uh, with with the uh, the council in regard to uh, the program altogether, and and actually adding input in as a property management operator, and just allowing them to understand our side of the business as well. So we're going to give Joe's person cell phone and, and home address. That's right? what I was thinking. Okay, great, great, great. For for him to answer all questions. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now I have it forwarded to Mr. Bronji. <laughs> Charlene, do you have any final thoughts that, that you want to, uh, you know, present to our listeners today? The biggest thing is just do your due diligence ahead of time and, you know, make sure you have a good tenant. You know, just yeah. do, your, do your screening. Um, if anyone wants to call me, my area code is 770. The number is 912-6496. 770-912-6496. And I can talk you through anything or help you out and I'd be happy to help you. Do you, uh, do you have an email address that you would want them to, if, if mm-hmm. they just want um, a quick email? Right. It's Charlene, C-H-A-R-L-E-N-E at baileyandhunter.com. That's great. Jeff, final thoughts? Final thoughts. Um, um, educate investors. Knowledge is power. Uh, you know, reach out to your property managers and let them educate you on the house shorts voucher program. Um, you know, so you're, you know, have all the, you know, where, how the program actually works. So that'd be my big thing. Just get educated and don't be scared. Uh, utilize your property manager's experience. That's what they're there for. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, my, mine is kind of the same, just the, the education, the, the knowing what's happening and, and, don't be scared. This is this is much less scary than some people seem to think that it is. And and, and maybe that's just because you know we we're coming from a property management standpoint, and we are property managers. So I mean, and I, I would like to talk to all of our listeners, assuming that hey, you know, some of you might be self managing, and I am super impressed with every one of you that are, um, and and more power to you. And I will be here to to give you as much information as I can so that you can self-manage. And that's, so my advice to you is don't be scared, just learn everything that you can. And if you're not in our areas, or even if you are and you're not using us, feel free to give us, you know, a call, send us an email, find out as much information as you can to do this. But if you're using a property manager, make sure that that property manager also is educated on the processes, educated on all the pieces that they're going to need to to keep that tenant in there for a long period of time to gain all the benefits, the benefits of Section 8 are your longer-term tenants, potentially higher rent, and and steadier income streams from from some of these tenants that that might have higher risk. So there's a lot of benefits to this. There's plenty, way more so than you should be scared of. So, so just you know, reach out, you know, and do, do your due diligence, like Charlene was saying, and just just treat these people right, and, and everybody can everybody can be happy in the end. That, that's kind of my entire final thought situation on this. And you can reach us uh, by email at podcast at ahiproperties.com. And again, Jonathan and I monitor that. So any questions that come in, we'll be happy to jump on those quickly and get your get your answer for you. Absolutely. And uh, again, thank everyone so much for being on the call today. Charlene, I very much appreciate it. Joe, thank you so much for coming here and spending some time with us. Um, and and we, we are it's a, it's a new year for us on the podcast. We're trying to get as many of these as we can out this year. It's it's education. It's uh, entertaining in, in a lot of cases. It's it's, uh, it's We're here for you guys. We want y'all to be able to rely on us for, for good information and just, just to make sure that everybody can can have a great 2020 as yeah, profitable as possible. Look, I'm looking forward to it. We have a lot of great guests. We'll have a lot of, uh, a lot of great uh, affiliate uh, members or vendors mm-hmm. uh, to our industry we'll be discussing some things with. We have a lot of great industry knowledge coming up, a lot of uh, national information that's going to be very useful for, for investors. And then we'll be also talking to other property managers and landlords. So we have a lot of great information. So be sure you stay tuned to us. And uh, until next time, 
Until next time, keep buying. Keep buying, and, keep buying and uh, you know we'll, we'll keep working on that outro for everyone. <laughs> well, thank y'all so much. Come back and, and, and see us soon. Thanks, Charlene. Thanks, Joe. Bye. As property managers, property condition reports are a vital part of what we do. But who has the time to do them well? And who can afford to hire a professional to do it for them? Let us show you how. Join OnSite Pros, a national third-party property reporting company, on February the 19th from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. for a free Lunch and Learn workshop. For more information and to learn how to register, visit eventbrite.com and search OnSite Pros. Hey guys, Brian and Jonathan here. Today we want to tell you about one of our preferred partners, Rootstock. So what if there was an investing platform that allowed you to collect passive income and generate average annualized returns of over 8% in markets across the U.S., not just the ones in your backyard? With Roofstock.com, you can buy, sell, and own investment properties the way the pros do it and start earning passive income right away. So don't wait. Reach out to them today and get started on Roofstock.com. The songs Lobby Time, Retro Future Clean, and Rocket Power were created by Kevin McLeod of Incomputech.com, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0. Visit creativecommons.org licenses by 3.0 on the web.